Welcome to the second episode of Startup Explorer. This show is about hearing the story behind amazing projects, companies, and ideas. We also get a sense for the people who create them. In this episode, we're talking about ice cream and architecture. Cool House serves architecturally inspired ice cream sandwiches through their trucks in New York, L.A., Dallas, and Austin, as well as two LA shops. Their product can be found in over 4,000 grocery stores, including Whole Foods. They've used ice cream to get people excited about architecture. You'll find items on their menu like Frank Berry and Minimalism. Cool House has been praised by publications like Time, New York Magazine, and Dwell. Joining us today is Natasha Case, co-founder of Cool House. Thanks for joining us, Natasha. It's a pleasure to be here. So you don't often see food and architecture combined. Where did your interest in architecture first come from? It's funny that you say that because actually we were just at a, a, a workshop where it was brought up that there is no original idea as actually a reason to be creative, not worrying about that. And I kind of want to be like, you know, I have to say, I feel like ice cream and architecture. It may actually be, did we? I think we probably are the only brand that ever was and will be in that space. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, architecture, it, it, it really um, interested me early on. Well, I do have to say my dad's an architect, so that doesn't hurt as far as, you know, having access to designs of the Italian Renaissance at probably an earlier age than, than most and whatnot. And definitely, or him showing me how to draw stairs in perspective when I was a kid, you know? So seeing, seeing someone who made a career out of being creative but was a professional is obviously um, inspiring. And my mom is actually an um, animation director. So, uh, you know, I definitely always felt like I could kind of pursue the creative realm, but make, make a career. But architecture in particular started to interest me almost in the way that you could use it to not talk about architecture pretty early on. It's very interdisciplinary. To me, I started to see that it was like a language for talking about other things. And there was a lot of philosophy. There was a lot of big picture thinking in, in architecture because it involves the mass. It involves, you know, the public. So I think I got excited, you know, by the time I was going to college, let's say, um, that this is something that I could pursue that would open up a lot of other doors as opposed to like, okay, I'm going to go and study architecture and then necessarily be an architect or architect in the traditional route. I can have an architecture, you know, foundation and go a million directions. And then I just also like the idea of it's, it's one of those, um, you can really kind of influence people and you can really kind of make a, a, a big message. You can speak to a broad period in history. You can reference other histories. I think it just, it's like this mass, it's almost like a magnet for everything in culture. And then it's really here to stay. You know, it's something that has a lasting impression. So um, it just, it seemed to me that, that this would be a great way to, um, to kind of lay a foundation. When you were studying architecture at UCLA, you came up with something called Farkitecture. Could you talk about that? Yeah, actually, in my last uh, year of Berkeley, before going to get uh, my master's at UCLA in architecture, we were in one of our studios, and I made this student housing scale model, and my professor criticized it, saying it looked like a layer cake. It was funny that that was a criticism, because I sort of, that sounds like a good thing. Layer cakes are great. So I sort of took that and, and had a little fun with it, kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I baked the next iteration of the model as a cake. 
And I, it, I stayed up till three or four in the morning doing it just because it was so fun and it wasn't getting tiring and there was no toxic glue smell, you know, as you're gluing together a model. And when I presented it, you could just see, you know, I think as now as a more kind of developed entrepreneur, you see that twinkle in people's eyes when you have a good idea. You know, you just kind of have that, you, you know, it's like the I, the I do of an idea. You're like, this is, there's something here. You could tell it was more memorable for people. It was a conversation starter. And that truly, that was, I think, uh, for me, just kind of the sparks went off in my head. Like, you know, I can really use food to just make architecture more fun, more accessible, and bridge the gap between what we were doing in school and all these great ideas. And I think a lot of my peers, for example, when I would tell them what we we're doing, and they just were like, what are you talking about? You know, we have no idea. I mean, that sounds cool, but I, I feel lost. And that's a red flag, you know, in design. If people don't get it, they're not gonna, it doesn't have value. So, you know, I just started kind of playing around with that intersection. And I saw, I think I felt like there was a, a lot there that had been unexplored. So more edible models, pop-up dinners, you know, products, product development started, you know, to think of that name for architecture. And I liked that it sounded silly and it kind of made people chuckle like, good, it should, it shouldn't be intimidating. And uh, my, my just philosophy in life, I think is, you know, it, I hate insiders clubs. It should be about everyone feeling like they're part of something cool. And that makes it that much cooler as opposed to it's made cool because people can't be part of it. So that's, yeah, that was kind of, uh, you know, what, what got me into that. And when was your first time making ice cream? Um, well, I made it once as a kid with a friend, but I remember my friend's mom, she wanted it to be like healthier. So we had to use like ricotta cheese in the base and low fat milk and it turned out terrible. And that was kind of traumatizing. So it took me like a few decades to get over that. And then actually the same friend's brother had an ice cream maker and we were just hanging out and he had been, um, making, experimenting with it, making different flavors. And we, you know, we made some on that machine. It was like a Cuisinart commercial grade. So we made some ice cream on, on his machine and it was just like, Oh wow, this is the, that homemade ice cream. It was an immediate addiction again. So that was probably only a few months before I started cool house. The part of the story about cool house that is really fascinating to me is it really got its start at Coachella in 2009. So you, along with your co-founder Freya bought a truck off of Craigslist, a food truck and went to Coachella. So how, how did that come about? And when did ice cream become that much of a passion for you? Let's see. So the Coachella came about. So now kind of fast forwarding to making the ice cream, you know, just kind of getting back into homemade ice cream, meeting Freya while, so I was now post UCLA Imagineer at Disney and the recession was setting in sort of not long after I started. A lot of people were getting laid off and I started in particular as part of this architecture umbrella, now that I was like back into the homemade ice cream after the, you know, taking a break because of that trauma for 20 years, he started baking cookies, making ice cream, naming the combinations after famous architects, minimalism, Frank Berry, Mies Vanilla Rome, handing them out to friends as, at work as comic relief for a lot of people getting laid off, getting severance packages. So it was really an art project. And I met Freya just then, you know, really in these very, very, you know, the infancy stages of it all. And she came from real estate development. So she had business operations, finance skills. And I, you know, told her about what I was doing and she just thought it was the wackiest, funniest, quirkiest thing ever. But, you know, maybe there's something there. 
It could be a business. So there was a holiday event at Disney where you could sell kind of homemade goods for, you know, in the spirit of, of, you know, gifting. That was one of the first times we really made them together. The architectural ice cream sandwiches, people like were buying four of them and eating them all and just laughing at all the architecture puns. It's like, okay, once again, there's something, there's that twinkle in the eye, right? So we thought, okay, like, let's just minimum viable product, you know, is, is happening. We, we can sort of, sort of make these from scratch. How do we get it out there? You know, brick and mortar is not an option. We're 25. The banks already are not lending from the recession. Wholesale didn't know how to operate that world at all. But at that time, the trucks, you know, Kogi had just launched not long before. They were amassing kind of a viral following. We thought, you know, this is something we could maybe afford. We could reposition the ice cream truck, you know, reinvent it with better homemade quality for today's consumer. And we could not necessarily, you know, have to leave our full-time jobs to do that. We could like do it on the weekends, whatever. And uh, the social media, you know, I like to say we kind of grew up with social media. It was just launching then. So we could like bring the truck into that social media world, give people a reason to follow us and um, have the urgency, you know, to see where we were located. And that was free, of course, to use things like Twitter, Facebook. And, you know, so that was definitely appealing. And, you know, the product, too, we just believed this this is something that is kind of revolutionary because if you go back six years and walking down the ice cream aisle, there was not all this small batch, sweet meat, savory, salty, boozy, handcrafted. There was way more of a void for that kind of concept. So it was like, to, like to say, it's like the business zeitgeist. Like it was like the parting of the clouds. Like, okay, we time to act is now. Then we, you know, we bought the truck for $2,900 on Craigslist. Didn't even drive. And we just needed somewhere to launch at. And we thought, you know, Coachella was that following April. It's such a huge amount of people. And it's really an L.A.-based audience that sort of relocates in the desert for that weekend. And this is the perfect way to get the brand in front of as many people as possible, work out the kinks, et cetera. So we just knew that was that had to be, you know, it. And I think for me coming having a little bit of experience with like PR and marketing like you could sort of see like this is this is the perfect story of how a brand could build from a grassroots you know mm-hmm. you could just feel that so yeah we the truck didn't even drive so we basically bootstrapped figured out that if we uh, got AAA platinum membership we got a free 200 mile tow so the morning of Coachella, we pretended the truck dr- broke down even though it never drove in the first place <laughs> and they towed us out to the desert and you know that's that's where uh, the magic happened. <laughs> I want to talk about the twinkle that you saw in people's eye and the last statement you said where coming from a PR and marketing background, you really just felt that this is how a great brand is built. And you mentioned you, you felt that really back then. Yeah. Had you ever seen a response like that from something that you had worked on before? I think... Um I think that I was having some, uh, with, with the architecture idea in general, I would sort of constantly, you know, bring it up with friends or do these events or just put it out there. I think so many people are afraid that like their idea is going to be quote unquote stolen. And I just never, ever worry about that because one it's, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I, I just know I have a lot of wacky ideas that are just too weird for anyone to really do anyway. But also because it's all about execution and you really got to want it for something like that. So I could sort of, and I, I always encourage people to do that. Like, don't keep your business idea like a secret. You know, I could see that there was like connection to the idea, but it was so unclear what the final stage of it would be. 
So I'd kind of try a lot of different things. So um, not in like a critical mass way, but in, I think in a, like, okay, there's something to keep exploring here type way. As you kept going in this process from then till now where the business has grown so much, uh, in a way it was so uniquely cater to what you were passionate about by design. You right. love architecture and it sounds like you really love food and ice cream. Was there ever a point where you weren't sure that this is what you wanted to continue doing? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think there's been times in the beginning, it is really hard. Starting a business, growing a business is incredibly hard and you really, I think as I, even as I was saying, like you, you know that you're kind of living the history of your brand. It's still hard because you're like in that moment, you're like, are we going to make it to being able to sit down with someone, you know, for a podcast and say, that was the story. Like it's still, even though, you know, it's kind of a good story. The question of whether it's a story that lives to be told isn't, is a totally different matter. So it's, it is incredibly hard. I think you're, you have to learn a ton you're kind of learning the hard way in the beginning for some things. You're doing everything yourself. It never felt like that was a big enough burden to be like, oh, what am, why am I doing this? I mean, I always loved it. I think I loved the response we'd get from people. I think also because it doesn't hurt that we happen to be in like, you know, ice cream sandwiches, which literally exist on the earth to make people happy. And that's kind of what you're delivering all day. It's like people's like happiness and like bewilderment with the crazy flavors. And Oh my God, the architecture connection and the cool, the coolness of the brand. Like, so, you know, if it was like window treatments and it was that hard, yeah, I'd probably, you know, shatter pun intended. But in this case, it wasn't ever enough to feel regret. Even when it was hard, there was always a big chunk of the day that was doing something like truly, truly fun. When we would drive the trucks, I mean, the trucks are, what a cool, like how many people would say like drove an ice cream truck like around the streets of New York City? Like it's, it's amazing, you know? You feel like you're on an adventure. And I, and I, you know, I grew the brand with Freya, who now, we're, we're now married. Uh, it was very romantic, you know, to, to, I think, be able to, to work with someone that you love. And even though it got to the point where now she's doing her own thing with her new company, and I think that's better overall, like sort of, but for those first few years, it was like to, to be able to grow a business together and have it succeed. It's like a, an amazing accomplishment as a couple too, I think. So that also made it, made it really every day, very, very interesting and exciting. Yeah. As you grew from being just a truck to having several trucks in LA and then all of a sudden you have one in New York and they're in different parts of the country. How do you manage that? Were you going out to each of those cities as you launched? Yes. In the beginning, I think you, I really set up New York. That was a big, big, you know, project for me. I was actually remembering just the other day how I slept in a friend's office. He has an interior design company and real estate company. And then I, then when we opened our office, like I also tried to secretly sleep at the office until the landlord caught me. I was like, Oh my God, those are, those are those days were nuts. But, um, definitely. Yeah. Setting up the operations. I also set up our Miami operation, which we ended up closing, but we got great distribution in Florida being part of the, you know, training for Dallas, actually Austin's no longer, um, a year round operation then you really have to be able to find ways to remotely manage. Like I obviously can't be in all those places at all the, all the time. So you have to have good managers there. You have to have checks and balances, reporting systems, ways to catch theft. Um, I will say what we've really scaled though, like all those supermarkets you mentioned in the beginning in that way. So that's, I think why we moved away from expanding the truck fleet really since 2012, we haven't really added anything. 
Has there been a particular challenge that you experienced during this time of growth that really stood out to you? You know, managing people is incredibly hard. And when you start a business, did you know, 25 and 26, you, you, you aren't even really your, you know, obviously I'm still not, you know, um, still maturing and evolving every day, but you know, you're so young and, and your own capacity for, um, being an adult is, is still maybe not fully there. And you're supposed to be the boss of people who may have more experience in food and catering, maybe older than you. And I think really learning who you are as a manager and a leader is, is really key. Um, I also think being a leader and being a manager is different is two different things, but in the beginning you have to be both because you know, you're tiny. I really see my role now more as like in leadership and, and vision. Luckily I can spend all day doing that, but I think you have to learn, you have to learn what motivates people. No two people are the same and you have to really learn to read people. So that, that took time. And part of it is just getting older. You know, I tell people like, be patient. You are growing up too. You know, you'll, you'll get there with each passing year. I think, I think we got through the challenge, like with me and Freya, you know, that, that after four years, she was able to step away, hire her replacement, um, move on to her new, the, her spirits business Ludlow's. It was pretty seamless. Like that was, I think a very fortunate thing. I, I certainly know a lot of couples who've started things together and it can get very, very ugly, but learning how to transition out of that. And then once she left, I kind of, I think I learned much more quickly a lot of things she was doing, accounting, operations, finance, you know, I became much more savvy on those things. And I think I see now you really have to, you don't have to be the one at your company running all those things, but the more you understand of what other people are doing, the better you're going to be as a CEO. So that's, that's definitely been a huge learning uh, for me. All the, all those things that, you know, when you're sort of pigeonholed as a creative, which I, is a great thing, but I think a lot of creatives tend to be like, oh, and I'll just have someone do the numbers and then we'll be good. It's like, no, actually you should be aware of everything. You're going to be better at your creative job if you like master those things. And guess what? Accounting is like kind of a creative thing. Like it all involves creativity. How, well, the story you want to tell with, you know, with your team and your budgets and your goals, it, it all involves the same mind. Um, so that's really been a huge, huge uh, learning curve for me in, in a great way. Like I, I really enjoy all of that now. You mentioned that now more of your time is spent on vision and leadership more than day-to-day management. And I've read that the vision for Cool House is to build the Ben and Jerry's for the next generation. Can you talk more about that vision? So, um, yeah, we are very ambitious with our vision and like, I really, I don't know if it's the Ber- Berkeley in me, but like it's, this is the ice cream revolution, you know, and I see this to me, cool house is almost like a canvas for so many other things. Like it's just a way that we've managed to funnel a certain kind of creativity and a certain kind of thinking ice cream and an amazing, amazing ice cream happens to be that first product that we that we like disseminated that philosophy through. But I think now that cool house kind of has legs and people understand, you know, the aesthetics and the core values and the culture, like you can do anything. And cool house is such an exciting brand in that way. You know, we want to, I keep, I think we keep innovating in, in frozen, frozen novelty, but we could be doing other food like cookies, cookie butter, snacks. I kind of want to reinvent cereal, you know, have having like a craft beer that you've seen now these kind of partnerships or literally we could go to town with in the food space. And I think even beyond the food space, you know, lifestyle products, maybe there is like a cool house van that like other people can start mobile concepts in. you know, you can just literally, 
And then um, partnerships. We have done custom flavors for like the LA Forum, for sports stadiums, for uh, entertainment, like the Dexter uh, sandwich we did for their finale season, the Showtime show. Like I said, Cool House just being a canvas for for kind of almost other brands to come in and collaborate as in some ways when Cool House is at its best. Mm. So I just want to continue that for, it's like endless, the possibilities, you know, really opens it up. Cool House has worked with a lot of really exciting brands like Tumblr and Facebook and also with movies and TV shows like Dexter. How did those partnerships get started? Early on, we would get approached by brands to do activations with the truck or make custom sandwiches, brand our edible wrappers because you can print on them with edible ink. We sort of started to develop, you know, this side of the business. We didn't even anticipate that when we launched that that would be something that we could even do. And then you get to a certain point where you say, okay, people aren't going to be approaching us forever. We should be so lucky that that even happened how we need to go out and make these deals happen. So we've become much more, you know, outward facing and in, in, in outreach, like, you know, approaching all the brands that we want to work with and saying, here's something cool. We have an idea for a partnership and activation, a custom flavor, a custom product. Are you guys interested in this? What are your ideas? You know, and really initiating, I think our own conversations with brands. I think that's, that's really how, you know, by the time you, realize that you need to go do the outreach, it's already too late. So you really have to be ahead of the game and you should think about who you want to work with too and make those deals happen. If you fast forwarded 10 years from now, Cool House has continued to grow. You've had a ton of success and now you get to build your own flagship store from scratch. If that were to happen, what kind of architecture would that building have? I love that idea. Um, God, what would, let's see... I think what if my two ideas would be one, what if you really use, um, it's sort of like a museum gallery kind of space where you use the different, you know, architecturally inspired sandwiches or architectural kind of movement or community partnerships to, to give people an architecture education. Um, so maybe in one room is, you know, the Frank Berry, which is like the Frank Gary stuff. And you sort of talk about his work and, and maybe why you picked this sandwich or the way that the sandwich is made and how it relates to the work, the minimalism, you know, and that's your minimalist space. And there in the center is a place to, it's being, you know, maybe there's like a scooper serving the minimalism sandwiches and you're experiencing, you know, some of that era of design or, you know, we also use the Buckminster Fuller pun for that flavor. So that could be, I mean, a Bucky Fuller themed space to eat mint ice cream is just would be heaven, I think. So that could be really cool. And I wonder, since it's the future, you even have holograms of some of the buildings and maybe some of the architects talking about their work, whatever. That could be, I think, really, really amazing. You could, you know, even beyond, I think, the punny names of the flavors, it would be fun to even just get super arty with like, you know, maybe getting more sculptural with the flavors or using some things about the environments those architects have created to kind of that the ice cream would speak to that, you know, thinking about the materials that these architects have used or the colors and just, you know, I think that could be like, you know, an incredible space. I mean, I know I would want to hang out there and learn about design. And then, oh, my other idea was just, I don't know, glow in the dark. I'm kind of obsessed with glow in the dark desserts. I think that'd be so funny if it was like you could go there at night in the middle of the night, but everything's lit up, you know. (laughs) Well, Natasha, I know you're very busy building this giant ice cream empire. Where can people go to find out more about Cool House or try some themselves? 
So you can go to eatcoolhouse.com. We've got everything there on, on the website. You could learn a lot about us and what we do and where we are. Um, on there is, you know, in the where section, maybe you live near one of our shops in Culver City or Pasadena, or you're near one of our trucks in LA, New York, or Dallas, or as we mentioned earlier, the, one of the 4,000 retailers like Whole Foods, Kroger, Safeway, Fresh Direct, we're all over the place. So lots and lots to choose from. You can search by zip code and find the nearest cool house, uh, to, to where you are. Natasha, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you.